this is uh, This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben Loftus Cheek, and you're listening to the London, London Blue, Blue Podcast. One. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the London Is Blue Podcast. This is a mailbag episode, and tonight your host is Joe Tweeds. I'm here with my illustrious co-host of Thinkerman, Yasin McLean. Uh, we are deputising for the chaps, uh, Dan. Brandon and Nick who are otherwise engaged today and this is the third and final part of the mailbag where we're going to take a look at some questions around the loose theme of sort of Chelsea as a whole, uh, Tuchel system and if we have time we'll dig into some individual questions about players but thank you to Ole Langer, uh, Yadar's Army which is such a great name, uh, Andrew McDougall, Priffish97, Travis Crossroads, uh, the Chelsea Vision and Tweet Tweet CFC. Uh, for contributing to this section as with the above uh, lots of questions of a similar theme so I have kind of amalgamated them into sort of one overall question uh, that we can we can take a look at and I think I want to start with the first question here because this this one could probably be a podcast episode in and of itself however um, for the purpose of, of the mailbag I thought it was probably the best one to start with so um, we were asked, how good are we actually? So how good are Chelsea actually? And also, where are we when we compare ourselves to other top teams? And then also, where are we in comparison to other previous Chelsea teams? So Yaz, I know you have something special prepared for this, so please take it away. Yeah, well, I think it's it's, it's a thing where, okay, we're not Man City, we're not Liverpool. Um, the, the league table suggests we're, we're far off them. Um, and that we're a little bit better than the chasing pack in terms of Arsenal, Spurs, and I guess United. Um, and then I thought, well, okay, that's what the league table says, and um, we'll see what all the underlying things say, or, and, or I'll just look at metrics which I think you should be judging your performance on. Um, and just I, I went and looked at a few of them and, and thought, where, where are we? Like, how good are we, really? So the, the most obvious one was goals. Um, City first, Liverpool second with 86 and 82. This is in the league. Um, Chelsea third, 67. Arsenal fourth, 53. Okay, cool. So we're third. What about goals against? Okay, well, I see a theme already. We're third. Um, City and Liverpool, 21 against. Us, 28 against. And we have our disaster classes against Arsenal and Brentford recently to, to help bolster that number um, so we're, we're in touching distance in terms of goals against then I looked at shots on target per 90 City first Liverpool second Chelsea third okay what about shots on target against per 90 City first Liverpool second Chelsea third and I thought <laughs> alright well that's that's the shots that happen what, what about the quality of said shots what about the XG well Liverpool first Man City th- second Chelsea third Tottenham Tottenham very close in fourth though um, all right, what about XG against? City first, Liverpool second, Chelsea third. Okay, open play. Liverpool first, City second, Chelsea third. Open play against. City first, Chelsea second, <laughs> Liverpool third. And so you start to look at everything. You look at them final third entries. City first, Liverpool second, Chelsea third. Um, uh, passes into the 18-yard box that are received. City first, Liverpool second, Chelsea third. What about the opponent's likelihood to do it? City first, Liverpool second, Chelsea third. Um, touches in the 18-yard box and third and attacking third. City first, second, Liverpool, Chelsea third. Um, presses, uh, passes we allow per defensive action. Se- Liverpool second, City third, Ch- uh, C- Chelsea joint third, Leeds first. No one wants to be doing that. There's a reason they're down there. Um, 
And then I looked at higher turnovers and stuff. We, we're, we're actually quite starkly behind in that. We're 10th in terms of high turnovers as recorded at theanalyst.com. Um, and, and the ones that end in... Sh- so we have 262 for some comparison. Liverpool and Brighton are top two with over 340 each. 39 of our 262 end in shots. Um, six of them have ended in goals. So... We're actually comparable there with Liverpool in terms of 15% compared to their 16% ending shots. And we are the only team comparable in that 2% of them ending goals. Uh, Southampton round up top three there. Set piece shot created actions. We're, we're 12th, but against, again, we're third behind the usual suspects. And I think when when it, some of these are obviously uh, correlative sort of stats where Okay, if you're in the final third a lot, you're going to be in the 18-yard box a lot, you're going to have more shots. I get that sort of stuff. But you can look at pretty much anything, except for set pieces offensively, where we've, we've fallen away a lot compared to where we were around the new year. Defensively from set pieces, we're still very, very stout. You can look at almost any metric going in the Premier League, and we are clear of fourth, but not touching second. And I think... When everything tells you tells you that, then I think that just kind of there's the answer of where we are. We're we're stuck and we are stuck third. And I think it's the complacency of knowing that which gets Arsenal and Spurs that much closer towards the end of this season. Um and and we have we have we have work to do. But I just couldn't stop laughing going through every metric under the sun. <laughs> City or Liverpool, then us. City or Liverpool, then us. City or Liverpool, then us. Um, and and yeah, and that, so the numbers say that's how good we are. We are better than fourth, but not as good as second. And some may call that purgatory. But what what are your thoughts here in that? Yeah, I uh, I must say, obviously being being somebody who's a little bit into their data, given my day job, I was I was spotting the trend. I would say as you was going through those stats. Um, do you know what it, it feels like a fairly well it feels like a very accurate I think reflection of of Chelsea if I think of just the general eye test of the teams I I think that we are I think we're comfortably the third best team team in the country I think towards the end of the season that the number of games the injuries maybe the reliance on certain players the fatigue that has set in has allowed uh, teams that have played 10, 15, whatever it is, games less than us this season to, to close that gap somewhat. And I do completely agree. Um, without having that much to play for, obviously, I think the Madrid game was a big sort of emotional kind of energy sort of dump that, that we've had and not maybe been able to recover the levels after putting in such an incredible performance and not going through. Um but yeah, I, I can see that, I said, I think we're comfortably better than Arsenal. We're comfortably better than, than Tottenham and United. Um, it's interesting that when those teams will start moving into playing twice a week, just how well that they're able to manage that. And, and given that they have had massive ups and downs through the season, playing largely once a week for, for certainly in Arsenal's case. Um, but you're, you're right. It's the gap to, to the teams above us, which I, you know, you know, my point of making that we've been we've been double digits away from the title winners for the past five years. That's been as high as 33. It's been as low as 19. Um, but that as a, as a gap is is far too great, really, for you to, to, to sort of turn around. You're looking at six to, to 10, 11, 12 wins a season away from from turning that, that gap around. Um, and it, it's a real kind of, I think, uh, it's, it's a really difficult thing to do. I, I know we've, we've alluded to in, in the last sort of section of this talking about we think it's two, possibly three years in terms of a, in terms of a rebuild there. But 
it's one of those things where I think, yes, I think people look at how we perform against Real Madrid, how we perform against Liverpool. Maybe not so much City this season. I think we, we just didn't really have the right setup in those games. But how we are able to go toe-to-toe, compete, and in some cases play better than teams that are you know, Europe-leading, are in the Champions League final, are likely to win their domestic leagues or have already won them. And then they they sort of project that as sort of the baseline performance. I think we can play up to the level, or maybe the best way of putting it is I think at the moment we play down to the level of the opposition. So where in the Premier League, where maybe we've struggled against teams in the bottom half or, or, or you know, teams around us, um, I think we have a tendency to not play to the level that we can and we sort of drop down to the levels. And certainly as the season's progressed and, you know, we've, we've obviously only really got an FA Cup to, to play for now. I think the motivation and maybe just that that sort of internal drive in the squad isn't quite, you know, the, it's not it's not a Drogba, Terry, Lampard, Cole, Czech, you know, kind of core group of players who are going to keep the levels up there. It's a little bit more uh, likely to, to go through dips. We've seen that over the past sort of number of years as well. So I think there's an element of playing down to the level of the opposition or playing up to the level of the opposition. We can kind of scale our performances, but that isn't always a positive thing as well. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm curious, certainly, you know, in terms of like the final portion of this question, um, comparisons to past Chelsea teams, I get that this is a very kind of subjective and, and not a particularly quantifiable point, but I think that sometimes that the that the real distinct lack of personalities in this squad compared to a, a JT, a Lampard, a Czech, whoever it's going to be, you know, a, a Drogba, Costa, even people like Diego Costa, it's probably Antonio Rudiger and, and Thiago Silva, Mason Mount. Reese James. I mean, you've got a handful here, but the, the younger guys still, I think, need to come into their own and come out of their shells and be a little bit more kind of dominant in terms of their personalities. Rudiger leads from almost a psychopathic kind of viewpoint in matches, and, and Thiago is sort of that quiet presence. Aspilicueta, you know, as much as I love him and what he's achieved here as a captain, I don't think his personality translates to that. He's not sort of a JT, you know, kind of chest-thumping captain or he's not like a real kind of quiet, best player on the pitch kind of leader type captain even. I think there's a lot of the sort of the mentality uh, I would compare in a less favourite way of this group for the past four or five years compared to what we've seen previously. And again, it's difficult because, you know, we had a period, I think, in the first 10 years of, of Roman where we had a squad that had like eight or nine international captains in it. I mean, that just doesn't happen, having that level of leadership in the squad. And maybe we've been spoiled a bit by thinking that, that is that is how you you get character, how you keep standards up. But yeah, I mean that for me, from it said, from a completely subjective perspective, I don't see the same mental uh, toughness or resilience that that we've seen in, in kind of years gone by. And maybe that's reflected in in standards in training or standards towards the end of the season and maintaining the levels. Um, I don't know what you think about that that sort of comparison piece, Jazz, but is is it? I'm assuming it, it will be more than just a mental thing as well. Obviously, the, maybe the, obviously the caliber of player isn't as as high in terms of the squad as well. But what what are your kind of takes when when you're looking at this compared to sort of teams of, of days gone by? No, definitely. And I think to be honest, I'm gonna I'm gonna lump in another question that we got here um, uh, about why the team looks lethargic and demoted come yeah. season end, and this has been an issue issue since the second Conte season. I'd argue is probably been an issue before that as well. You think about the Mourinho tenth Limp, season, limped over the line, even um, even, even the title, the title yeah. season. You're right, limped over the line massively, um, and I think I think they they are kind of linked. I think um, I think especially now with the I feel like let me try and word this right that Mourinho 2015 team that limped over the line 
limped over the line because they were in the driving seat for the title. I feel like if you put that exact team uh, this season next to a Liverpool and City, they'd be getting beat 4-1 by Brentford. They'd be throwing away games to Arsenal because I feel like when you're compared to that level of excellence and consistency, it can f- and, and you're 10 points off and you're 12 points off and this, that and the other. I think that is directly linked to why we finish seasons like this. I think that 15 season is probably the one exception where we've finished the season strongly and been in a title race. But I think it's very easy to turn off in the league and switch off in the league when there's nothing to really play for in the league. I think we've done a great job of always being comfy, um, but not competitive over the last few years in the league. And that's going to lead to, we'll save ourselves for the cup final, we'll save ourselves for this semi-final and... And if there's nothing, if there's no skin in the game, if there's nothing to play for, I I don't necessarily think it's much more complicated. And I think also, I think it is a quality issue. I think um, it was funny, like all the memes and everything like that, when you saw the Lampard season where we finished, was it fourth and United snuck in for third? Yeah. Um, Or was it third? But finished top four under Lampard and every week someone was dropping points. Every week we'd drop points, United would drop points, Leicester would drop points. There was drop points all over the gaff. Um, And I remember telling, saying it was was lucky Lampard. And then actually you realise this season that Spurs and Arsenal are doing their own kind of job of falling over each other to drop points. And it kind of, the penny dropped then for me this season that, oh no, hold on a minute. It's not luck, it's not this, it's not that. It's just that Teams that are only good enough to finish fourth or third drop points. And the teams who are good enough to finish first and second in this current Premier League era with two of the best Premier League teams ever, they don't drop points. And and I, and I don't think it's that much more complicated than they have the quality, they have the level set, they have the individuals who get turned draws into wins and are still there fighting at the end of the season. Um, and then psychologically, if you're 12 points off, what's the difference really between eight points and 16 points? You know, we yeah. I think we're currently, we at one point we were only like nine points off and then the Brentford result and this, that and the other. Um, and now we're 17 off City. And, and it's kind of happened overnight. It was the Brentford result and then it was the Arsenal result and then it was the United result. And what's the difference between eight points and 15 points really? You know, you might as well save your legs for a final for this, especially if the threat from fourth is as, as low as it feels. So so I think I, I think the mentality is like one of those cyclical things. The mentality influences the performance, but then the performance and the skin in the game influences the mentality. And I think it will only change when we are come April, come May, in the thick of a title race. And... Um, and, and we haven't been close since since Conte's first year. So I think that's that's a simple and maybe underwhelming answer. But I think that is at the end of the day yeah. why we just tail off. Um, and and in terms of compared to other Chelsea teams, I think our, the title winning teams we're nowhere close to any of them really. I don't think we're close to either of the Mourinho teams, the Ancelotti team, or or the Conte team. And going back to what we said on another um, section it's that complacency like to think about how much of a head start we had financially and and everything like that with Roman coming in to have only won as many league titles um as we have in 20 years feels 
underwhelming when you when you really look back on it. And obviously, you wouldn't change the Champions League for the world, but you look at what um, Pep's managed to do in these last few years and stuff, and that's that is dominance. That is consistent excellence year on year. Um, and and yeah, I think it is down to quality at the end of the day, and, and having the players who can who can turn those draws into wins, so that when it's April, you still have something to play for every Saturday. Yeah, I think I I think you're right. I mean, I can't remember there was I think it was a pundit, one of the, actually one of the better ones. It might have been Leroy Rossini, who was saying that actually this Chelsea team only really can get themselves up for the big occasions. And and to your point, if you're not if you're not in the in the raffle, you know there's two tickets left in the raffle and you're not in it, you've got absolutely no interest in it, have you? So um, yeah, come sort of the the crunch end of the season, I think we've we've left ourselves or put ourselves in a position with the lack of quality, the inconsistency that we see. To we're so far from from being in the race that yeah, I think it's not a question of, of entirely downing tools, but I think there is certainly a question of of saving legs for for potential cup finals and and maybe not having the same level of of drive that you would expect to see, certainly with Liverpool and, and City looking to finish the season in, in spectacular fashion and, and looking to, to win titles there. So I completely agree. All right, Chelsea fans, editor Brandon here. One last time, we're going to take an ad break when we get back, obviously, much more Tinkerman. So thank you to the sponsors for financially supporting the show. We'll be right back. All right, our next partner has a product that I use literally every day. I started taking AG1 because, well... It's hard to get a lot of micronutrients in, you know, we're all focused on our macros with protein, carbs, and, and fat, and now we got to add the micronutrients from fruits and vegetables. It's just hard to eat that many servings a day. So uh, I started doing it just to make my life a lot more efficient. I'm getting better gut health and a more uh, durable resistant immune system. So what is this stuff? Well, with one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food, sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right this special blend of ingredients supports your gut health your nervous system your immune system your energy recovery focus and aging all of the things again i do it it's easy it's fast it's quick uh throw up my shaker usually on my way home from work drink it 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 goes down quickly uh and like i said you get six servings of vegetables a day very easily uh, but hey don't listen to me athletic greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews it's recommended by professional athletes and is trusted by leading health experts such as tim Ferriss and michael gervais so right now it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition it's just one scoop and a cup of water every day that's it no need for a million different pills supplements to look out for your gut health to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to say, give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash London is blue. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash London is blue to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Pivoting from more of a, a general question about Chelsea to something very specific about Tuchel. And I want to say we maybe had three or four questions that were very similar in this vein here. So it's looking at our attackers and asking the question whether Tuchel's system is to blame for their inconsistent form, uh, whether it's a system or, the, or a play issue in your perspective, Yaz. And how does this change or how would this change in the future? I have a very good <laughs> idea on the, the third part there, maybe maybe don't sign players like Romelu Lukaku and Timo Werner. Um, but certainly when it comes to the system, is there is there a portion of blame or is there is there blame at Tuchel's feet for the inconsistent form that strikers have had or, or attackers in general? 
Um, and again, is, is this, do you think, a system or, or player issue here? I think it's, it's difficult to know. Everyone has an opinion and, and seems certain that um, our attackers are, are kind of warned away from ambitious passes or risky passes and everything like that. Um, and it's difficult to know without knowing what those instructions are. Um, I, I would say that although a lot of commenters on, on Twitter and stuff um, seem convinced that Tuchel is making them play a sterile, stale, slow game. Um, it's predated he, Tuchel though, hasn't it? Yeah, it's predated yeah. Tuchel. And, and I'll tell you what, he doesn't look very happy with it. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> so um, when, when, you, when you see him screaming and gesturing to play something quicker it does make kind of and it might be confirmation bias on my part because for me it's probably seven seventy percent player issue 30 percent tuchel issue i'm sure that he could play a riskier game um if 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 he wanted to and throw more more risk into it and stuff like that but then i reckon he looks at his players maybe doesn't trust them and thinks the best way to win for this team is clean sheets over scoring goals um and it's, it's funny because he's had a bit of a there's another question here about what is and i think it links into this one so i'm kind of going to jump ahead about it what is the system you yeah. think tuchel wants to play and i think tuchel has shown he's never been wedded to a shape at dortmund he was sort of a 4-3-3, guy because he inherited Klopp's team. And then he, in his second season, I remember that was one of the first times I saw our 3-4-3 now, um, was for one of the first times I saw it, aside from Conte, was Tuchel's Dortmund in the second season. And then at PSG, he kind of, he would play a back three sometimes, but he also played that kind of box 4-2-4 sometimes and played the 4-3-3 with Marquinhos in midfield sometimes. So... I, I think he does just match up on... I don't think he's as loose with it as maybe Lampard was, where it really was changing shape every week sometimes. Um, but I think there, I think he sees a value in flexibility. And so I don't think he sits there thinking, we need to play a 4-3-3. I think he might have a preference somewhere. Um, but I think if you go through his background, it's not entirely clear what that preference would be. Um, I think he's on public record saying that he plays a 3-4-3 here because when he came in, we had the players for it. It'd be very, very interesting now with no Rudiger, no Christensen, Silva towards the end, no Azpilicueta, what he decides to do because we seem far less wedded to a back three now next season than... than um, we were when he first came in because I think he even mentioned on a on a recent thing released that he wanted the captain on the pitch and so that meant finding a place for Azpilicueta um, and Azpilicueta's best recent form had come as a right centre back under Conte so so I feel like he would have been a, a big influence in playing three at the back um, what I will say is we haven't looked great creatively playing four so again it's not like we have two wing backs and three centre backs and so that means we don't have the bodies forward. Uh, that we would in a 4-3-3 because in a 4-3-3 we still haven't shown in particular great creativity compared to our um, back three maybe that again maybe we don't know that could be too cool thinking we need to be more conservative when we are in a 4-3-3 because of his concerns about not having an extra body back Um, but it's very tough to say I personally think that 
I do, and I think a lot of managers have kind of mentioned this, and I, I am of a similar um, idea. Ancelotti sort of says something along these lines. Mourinho says something along these lines. Tuchel, I think, has said something along these lines, where I do feel like a manager's job, if it was to land in a particular phase of play, is more on the defensive side than going forward, because I think you are always going to be at the mercy and the limit of what the individual qualities of your players are able to do in the final third. I would love just I would love to see if a De Bruyne or a Silva or someone with that tight space ability or that passing range could totally change our, our best long distance passer is probably Rudiger, which isn't conducive to getting you up the pitch quickly. Um, and in terms of our forwards, Christian Pulisic's numbers in terms of uh, 1v1s are, are, are lower than I think they've been in the past. And also, like, Hakim Ziyech, I like as a best of, bad, best of the worst sort of situation. Um, but he's come into a side and most of his games have been with Lukaku. I imagine that's Tuchel kind of trying to um, build on their personal relationship, but I actually think those two on the pitch together is a terrible fit. Um, I think they get in each other's way constantly. Pulisic was out of favour at Dortmund when we signed him. He'd only started about half the games in his final season and Jaden Sancho kind of usurped him as their choice out wide. Um, Timo Werner was an obvious issue about him playing against pack defences of which we often come up against. Um, and Lukaku was coming into a team which had a really good pressing system and is enabled to do that. And, and similarly, uh, come to a right-side dominant team um, where all of his goals against United had come from the left or against Inter had come from him being able to isolate defenders 1v1 or get in behind. So I, I think there's glaring, obvious sort of reasons there that the players are not good enough at being self-creators, playing in tight spaces, um, linking play, playing one-twos, getting in behind. But then I do think there is a 30% element where Manchester City and Liverpool, I guess, would be our most comparable. They do commit more bodies forward. Um, they do pin defences better than us. So Andrew Robertson plays in a four, yet will still be at the back post as much at least as Marcus Alonso. Um Manchester City, they will have three or four bodies within the width of the opposition back four almost all the time. Sadio Mane, when he's been playing up top for Liverpool recently, um, with Diaz coming in and being so good, is just constantly looking to get curled little run in front of the centre-back. Then it doesn't come. Then he's going and making a movement behind the centre-back. It still doesn't come. Then he goes and he um, goes and hangs on the far side fullback for a little bit. And... I do think we could be more daring and, and give more bodies in the box. Um, but then I don't know if I'd trust the players when they get there anyway. I think if you look at our actual chances that we do create, we create less than Liverpool and City. And I think it's very difficult to decipher whether that's because of individual quality or whether that's because of patterns and overlaps and little slip passes. Um, I do think we looked a lot better with fit wing backs who were dynamic and able to carry the ball. Um, but then you look at our chances and who the biggest, um, I was going to say criminals there for a second, but biggest 
most guilty <laughs> guys are in terms of underperformance on XG, and it's Havertz and Werner. And you wonder, maybe we'd feel a lot better um, about our chance creation if their finishing was just even just breaking Average. even at this yeah, point. Yeah. Um, and so I, I find it really tough to decipher. And I would like, I'm not, I think maybe my bias in terms of thinking it's partly more players is I'm not a huge fan of any of the players anyway. I'm not a Pulisic fan. As I, I don't mind Ziyech, but I, I don't think he's a great fit. I think he, he struggled um, with the intensity of the league. I'm not a um, massive Hudson-Odoi fan and haven't been since he's come into the first team picture. Um, I'm not a Lukaku fan at all. And to be honest, I, I see what could be with Havertz, um, but I think he's been underwhelming in, in, in his time here and, and I'm not one of the people who kind of makes the excuse of oh well he's out of position because one of the whole things I thought that was so good about signing him for that fee was that he could affect the game and play make and, and clip balls in from the right hand side and ghost in and play as a 10 and all sorts. so I saw a versatility as a strength of his and now I'm often told by the fans that oh if he's not as a 9 then it's a waste of time so I'm, I personally would like to see um what better 1v1 players, better tight space players, better combination players um, can do before just saying it's a Tuchel issue. But at the same time, he's got these players, he has to work with them. And and you have a lot of players that work well in transition and we either are not quick enough in transition or he is more preoccupied with keeping the ball and having a possession-based style. So that might just be a manager not gelling with the team. Um, and I do think there is something to be said about just committing more bodies forward, which sounds really simple, but just it just it just increases the variables of a ball bouncing for you, of a defender missing an interception from a cross or, or having more to aim at or someone being able to take the defender away by running near post. And, and Liverpool and City are better at that. They do commit more bodies forward. And I don't think that's a back three thing. I think... I think even they have Fabinho drop and then all of a sudden they're playing a 3-2-5 like we do, but we don't quite commit those bodies to the box enough. Um, They've both got Rodri and, and Fabinho, though, in, in that just we're going to sit and protect role as well, which I think, again, I I think the more Tuchel has had Jorginho and, and Kante is, has really been in and out of the team for injuries. I think without... The, the trust in Jorginho seems to be not be there the, the second half of the season in particular. Yeah, and, and, and injuries I, as well. I, I whether, really whether hope that, that I really, I know, I know your point and I get it and I really hope that is it and that a, that a Declan Rice or a, somebody comes in and, and, and really does free them and I, I get the rationale. I'm just not 100% I buy it. I, I agree, just, absolutely agree. I, I think as you've been talking, I've, I've been thinking in my head, you know, we're talking about some some traits, particularly 1v1, particularly technical ability under pressure in the final third. I think one of the things that I noticed when I watched City versus us is they have an insane ability to just keep the ball in the final third. We often recycle back to the halfway line quite a lot of times. Oh, like you look yeah. at, at he, like for, for all that he's had a poor season and it's not worth the price tag, you look at Grealish in tight spaces, Foden in tight spaces, even Gabriel Jesus, whose finishing is is poor, but he's able to get the ball in tight spaces, shift it onto his right, put it onto, receive it on his left. Um, Mares is a brilliant one v one player. Cancelo is essentially a winger masquerading a as a fullback well. and has been at Valencia and Juve and all sorts. He's unbelievable in tight spaces. 
um, Bernardo Silva, Kevin De Bruyne. Like, we just don't have... Like, they have just... Like, Pep, Pep's football is all about patterns until you get to the final third and then it's a few overlaps and cutbacks here but really he does re- like all good coaches even the ones like Pep rely on individual brilliance and you can't coach every movement it's, it's just not going to happen it's like that Bielsa quote if everyone was a robot I'd win everything um, <laughs> but but you can't and, and I don't think we have ever been ambitious enough in signing I guess for use of a better word tens um Graylish could be a 10 at any team. De Bruyne could be a 10 at any team. Silver could be a 10 at any team. Mares is more of a conventional winger. Foden is a 10. Like, and and what's, our, what's our comparison really in terms of that tight space, creative, diminutive 10 mount? And that's kind of all I've got. Because Pulisic, for all of his close control, can't really see passes. Ziyech has a lot of range, but doesn't quite have the quickness in the tighter spaces. Werner, let's not. not. Touch. <laughs> <laughs> let's not. Um, and and I think I think it doesn't surprise me that like that, that, that those players excel under City. And and I say I think I might have said this on previous episodes. I think I compare us to City more so than Liverpool because I think stylistically Tuchel sees himself and sees the game far more like Pep does. Um, I don't think we're like Liverpool play a lot of long let's call them direct to be respectful passes and <laughs> balls um, they play with a speed that we just don't really play at um, they're far more direct they hit their wingers in the channels and they get out quickly they've got Trent with unbelievable range Robertson is one of the most underrated far, in terms of his speed like he gets up the pitch quicker than Kovacic does or Kante does um, and we just don't really have the players to play that fast yeah. Um, whereas City, I, I see it as far more a kind of kindred spirit of Tuchel. Um, and we just don't have the players for it. We There's, there's a reason Pep says oh, it's the players always. He's not being false modest. It's the truth. <laughs> he has the yeah. players to play that deliberate, patient style. I think we'll finish up with, with two... Let's give some some brief thoughts here. So we, we've been asked about uh, what do you or what are your thoughts on Callum Hudson-Odoi's future, and then the second one, really, in terms of last three four minutes here, um, do you think that the the online rhetoric, the social media rhetoric around Mason Mount, i.e., that he is not creative enough, is justified? So a little bit on Callum, a little, a little bit on Mason to finish up. Yes, um, I think the I think the Mason thing's harsh. I think. Um, I think that is one thing that hasn't helped us this year at times. Too cool shuttling, um, mounting out to the right wing. I don't think is conducive to him being it's numbers. That. Numbers have gone up, but performance that that real in, intense part of of how he was connecting midfield. And I know you know you've coined the connector role, but that role he's not played that as much this season. In yeah, and it's got, for numbers. It, I think he's gone back to it a little bit lately. Yeah, um, I agree. Yeah, but it's but it's coincided more with then the team kind of being like, well, what are we playing in the league for? So it's been tough. But yeah, I'm not a huge fan of Mason outright. Um, I think he's harsh. I think he's he's shown. I think he's show- the thing is right creative what do people mean creative do they mean um a 50 yard pass from deep to like a Fabregas or do they mean a um Aiden Hazard one two get it back go around somebody like creative is, is vague I think Mount is a good one touch link player in tight spaces 
Um, but that is very dependent on the people you have around you. Um, I, I think if we go back to the Spurs games where we played the kind of 4-2-2-2, Havertz and Mount seem to really relish having that many bodies in close yeah. proximity where they could just pop it one touch and then go. Um, so I think he's harsh. I don't, I don't necessarily think he's a creative fulcrum like a Bernardo Silva is. To, to I think I don't think he's as creative as a Phil Foden even um, yeah, yeah. in terms of seeing things and being able to play and dribble past two or three guys and play worldly little one touch round corner passes. Um, but then I think it's it's unfair to expect uh, that much of him when again we talk about this seven hundred million pound squad. If you're relying on a an academy midfielder to be your creative fulcrum. There's some planning gone wrong there. I, I think he's a creative player. I don't think I, I don't worry about Mason Mount's creativity. I don't worry about Mason Mount's impact on on the attack. Um, I think uh, whether you prefer him in a midfield three or a front three, I think he's much of a muchness. I think he's a good player who affects things. I think we play a lot better with him. Um, I think his movement off the ball is is always looking to make things happen. So I would argue that that's creative and he pulls people around a little bit and he tries to go in behind and then he checks back out and then he goes wide and then he comes in. I think I think there's creativity in that. Um, so I, he's not someone I particularly worry about. No, I think I think uh, a midfield with him, Gallagher, and, and a maybe a Gilmore, Jorginho-esque player um, could be really, really good. Um, so I'm not I'm not personally worried about Mount's creativity. And in terms of Hudson Adoy's future, it's it's interesting now. I think he's got I can't remember if he's got two years left or three years left. Um, a very very significant contract. Yeah, it's um it's a really interesting one. I'm not when I say I'm not a huge Hudson Adoy fan. I mean, sort of relatively, like he's he's a very good young player, obviously. Um, I I think he's had flashes this season, but maybe not grabbed the opportunities when he's played wide left that he could have. I personally quite liked him as a wing-back option. Um, and I think it's a shame that his season's been ended by this, this Achilles um, issue again, seeming to rear its head. Um, because I think in certain games, having him on the right would have been a really nice galvanizing presence as opposed to an Aspilicueta out there um who who just is is a non-factor um it's tough it's tough i think um i think his age deserves more time more chances um i just am not sure about what you decide to do because yeah he does end up his contract ends in 2024 and again, the problem with Hudson Odoi is you can't just talk about Hudson Odoi, the player. It always seems like there's it's the entourage, entourage and family, and pushing for this move. And the, the Dortmund thing on deadline day was just a really badly advised thing to suggest. Um, I don't know if it was some sort of power play or what, but it 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 just spoke of a person who a player who doesn't have the best advice in it if if you really wanted to go on loan you should have done that at the beginning of the window or requested a transfer like but doing it on the last it just seemed unorganized and stuff so i would i really want hudson adoy to do well um i think he does add a delivery quality of delivery that we don't really have anywhere else i think 
when he's flowing and confident, I think he can play some some okay link play. I don't think he's great. I think his runs in behind have got better under Tuchel. Um, but then I think the only people who can really find him seem to be Ziyech or Mount. Um, I, I really want it to go well, but I, I kind of am just fearing the worst. I think that, that two-year... Yeah. Um, thing is going to hang over like a cloud and I think the owners have so much to sort out when they come in in terms of personnel and recruitment um, that that's that could end up being the next Christensen situation I worry yeah I, I think that's uh, that's a really interesting point to, to end on there Yaz um, I feel the same I think with with Callum there is a th- there's almost going to be a turning point for him obviously in terms of the recovery, I've never felt that he's had the confidence um, that he had pre-injury to really be a driving force and attack at players. I think that um, his sort of ability to finish coming from the left-hand side, open up that curler, I think he needs to develop that a little bit more. But I agree, certainly with the contractual situation, being a high significant earner, I think he is going to have to really sort of evaluate and look at where he is um, this summer. Um, Obviously, probably not going to the World Cup, um, may have that period to rest and recuperate as well. But, you know, it's it's kind of crunch time for him as a player. Um, I think that now brings part three to a close. So for those of you who have, have hung in for all three of these uh, these sessions, appreciate your time. Uh, Yaz and I will probably be doing more of these. Maybe they'll be on Patreon. Maybe we'll do some more Tinkerman-related ones. Um, but yeah, uh, with that being said, thank you very much for joining. This has been Joe Tweeds, along with my co-host Yaz McLean. We'll speak to you guys soon. Take care and enjoy your weekend. All right, that's going to wrap it up. Part three of three is done with the weekend edition of the Tinkerman. That is right. We'll be back with more pods this week. Obviously, we have Nick, Dan, and Jake in London. So a lot of live on-the-ground reactions. Make sure to get ready for the uh, uh, draw against Wolves. And then, obviously, the women's match and so much more. So thank you for listening, Chelsea fans. Until next time, you need to do, keep the blue flag flying high.